thank you for the anthem and the, the uh, gospel rendition there. That was just, just special. Thank you for that blessing. I want to focus us in uh, today as we uh, think together about compelling worship on two of the verses that Alice read, verse 23 and 24. This is in Jesus' conversation with the woman. The hour is coming, and now is here. The hour is coming, and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. Friends, the hour is coming, and now is here, when we are invited to worship God in spirit and in truth. May God bless this word as we worship this day. Let us pray together, gracious God. We give you thanks that you would come and you would hold our hearts and we can take your hand and you would lead us forward so that we might stand in that light of your grace in all things. And so we ask that you use this word this day to call us ever more deeply into that gift of worship that you would grant and give to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the giver of the living water, in whose name we've come and in whose name we worship and in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, as we make a difference, one of the things that has been said is we do want to create compelling worship. We don't want to have this experience be one where you say, golly, I want want to come to worship on this Sunday. And more than, than come to worship on this Sunday, I want to bring a friend to worship. I mean, that's our hope and our dream is to make worship as, as wonderful an experience as possible. To have compelling worship. And so as, as soon as you say compelling worship, what you begin to, to ask is, well, what, does, what makes worship compelling for different people? And you, you begin to see that the answer is, is, is as different as, as everyone who sits, there, sits here in, in the congregation. I mean, for me, what makes worship compelling is your singing. I want to tell you, y'all inspire me uh, week in and week out. And, and as the choir sings, I mean, it just lifts my heart. And when John plays the prelude or the postlude, doesn't that bless you? I mean, it just is amazing when he plays that. It just kind of, you know, comes. And when when those pipes resonate, something resonates deep within me, too. You know, I just love that. It's, It's compelling. Or maybe for you, the compelling part of worship was when the children come forward and you see the children up front and you're sitting around. And, and you know, it's, it's so beautiful to see the kids all across the front. You say, this is so right and this is so good. Our church today, because they bless our church today, and the church of the future. I mean, it's compelling for me to see them every week. Or maybe for you, the compelling part of worship is when we pray, and to know that you can bring what's on your heart, and in the moments that we share together where there's some peace, and we center ourselves in God's grace, we can just kind of open up ourselves to the moving of God's Spirit. You say, that's what draws me into worship. Or maybe you're a person that when it comes to worship, you're the person that asks, where's the beef? You know, looking for the meat of the message. And you say, you say, golly, when I come to worship, what I want is something that's thought-provoking. I want something that's practical. You know, that's, that's why I come to worship. Maybe it's all of the above. I'm not sure. But, you know, to talk about compelling worship is kind of, you know, it's a really broad brush stroke. 
But I tell you, I don't have really a definition this morning, but I do have a descriptor, and it's a descriptor that was uh, kind of given to me uh, by my granddaughter. And uh, I have to be careful here because my grandson's here this morning, and so I want to make sure, and I will give Fred equal time at some point in the future, so today, uh, but I'm going to talk about my, the other side of the family today uh, with my granddaughter. And, and what, um, you know, she is not uh, experienced in worship, and she is not a theologian. She's 17 months old, and she doesn't even talk yet. You know, and uh, so, uh, but what happens is that she is learning how to drink out of a real glass. You know, she's going from a sippy cup to a real glass. That's a big transition for kids. And, and uh, so the way she does that is you'll sit at the dinner table with her and, and she'll look at your glass and then she'll, she'll point toward your glass and a big smile will come, come across her face. And that means, you know, she wants to drink out of your glass. And so, you know, you reach over and you hold the glass up to her lips and you're hoping that it just doesn't all run down out of her mouth, you know. You've been at that place, you know how that works. But she gets part of it in her mouth and she swallows it and she does that. That this big grin comes across her face. And as the grin comes across her face, she looks out at you and she says, ah. <laughs> I thought, well, that is a good definition. And when Jesus is talking about worship and Jesus is talking about living water and you're talking about something that's soul satisfying and thirst quenching, I can't really think of a much better description of, you know, compelling worship than the ah experience because to tell you the truth we all have a thirst within us we didn't sing this hymn or we're going to sing in the middle hymn but it's from psalm 42 as the deer longs and pants for the water that's where the illustration comes from this morning so my soul longs after you oh god the the analogy there is you think about that deer has been running across the field getting tired and thirsty and comes to the water and wants that drink you know as the deer pants and longs for the water so my soul longs after you and there's something within each of us that longs and that thirsts to be connected to something or to someone that is greater than you or that is greater than me. To be connected with majesty. To be connected with wonder. To be connected with glory. To be connected with miracle. There's something in all of us that, that desires that and that wants it. And it's a part of you that goes out in the morning and looks at the sunrise or maybe goes out in the evening and looks at the sunset. And as you look at the sunrise or the sunset, something, you know, wells up and you say, that is glorious. You recognize the glory. You see the glory. It kind of moves within your spirit. Or you go to the seashore and you look out across the, the ocean and you see where the, where the sea meets the, the sky and you look out across that horizon and you say, eternity. Something about eternity is right there in that moment. Or you go to the mountains and you look down across, you know, you're standing up there in the mountains and you look out across the ranges. And as you look out across the ranges, majesty. Or you hold a baby in your arms, your child, your grandchild, another child. And you say, miracle. See, there's something in each of us that longs and that loves to be connected with something or someone that is greater than us. There is that thirst, and it is that thirst that leads us to the well. Just like thirst led the woman, the thirst led Jesus, it comes to the well. And the well I'm speaking of for us is the well of worship. 
because we all know we don't live at the seashore and we don't live at the mountains. And I don't get every, every morning to look at the sunrise. Maybe you do. I don't. And I don't look at the sunset every night. I just, I just don't. And I wish I had an opportunity to look at my grandson every day, but I just don't. You know what? We don't have those kind of opportunities, but we have the opportunity week in and week out to come to this place. And as we come to this place, in this place, we do talk about majesty. We sing about majesty. And in this place, we do talk about glory. We sing about glory and miracle and wonder and life. We, we talk about all of those things, the deep things of life. When we come to worship, it's our weekly opportunity to begin to engage and to begin to open and to begin to experience those realities that we thirst for. And so we come to these moments, and as we come to these moments, we come to these moments, I believe, with a question. It's the question that Jesus asked the woman at the well, and it's a really simple question. It's the question that everybody asks when they come to a well or, or any place when they're thirsty, and the question is this, can I get a drink? That's what Jesus asked in the text this morning of the woman, can I get a drink? I believe there's something about all of us, when we walk through those doors, we all ask that question. Can I get a drink? Is there something in this hour? Is there something in this place? Is there something as we are together with each other that will refresh my soul, will renew my spirit, will give me a sense of just kind of that welling up within me of, of goodness and grace? You know, I, I need that. You need that. Because again, just like Jesus, we know that we know the road of life. I mean, maybe your road is 75. Maybe your road is meandering way. Maybe your road is the road to the hospital. Maybe you're out of the road to work. I don't know what your road is, but we all know the road that we travel. And we know the road can be bumpy. And we know the road can be tiring. And just like Jesus, we can be weary. And we need a rest. And we need a drink. Or like the woman, we know what it means to carry a heavy load. And we know what it means to carry it in the heat of the day. You know, we need refreshment. We need renewal. We need what worship offers us. And so we come and we ask the question, can I get a drink? I think Jesus loves that question. Because what the question does is it begins to open us. It opens you and it opens me to the experience of worship that God has here for you and God has here for me. What the question does, can I get a drink? It opens us up to what God offers in Christ because Jesus said to the woman, if you knew who it was who was speaking with you, you would ask me, you would ask me, you would ask me the question, can I get a drink? And I would give to you living water. I would give to you what I have to offer the living water <laughs> experience. You know, but sometimes what I find is that we're afraid to ask the question. I'm afraid to ask the question because there's this sense of kind of improbability, almost impossibility about worship. And, and here's what I mean by that. It's caught up in the woman's response back to Jesus. Here's what she says. The well is deep and you have no bucket. 
The well is deep and you have no bucket. There's a sense here when you come into worship, you know, what we're talking about is majesty. What we're talking about is miracle. What we're talking about is glory. We're talking about these huge realities of God. And you want to talk, well, what bucket do we have that brings that forward? We're going to sing a song? We're going to affirm a creed? You know, we're going to pray a prayer? We're going to listen to the choir sing? We're going to hear the preacher? Is, is, is that the bucket? that's going to communicate the great realities of God? Like, like really? Well, is deep. I tell you, the bucket is small. You know, there's this sense of improbability, almost impossibility, but the whole thought of worship. And yet Jesus calls us into worship. Jesus is the one who says, don't worry about the impossible probabilities. Don't, don't worry about the impossibilities. And you see as the conversation carries on with the woman, because uh, as the conversation goes forward, what the woman says to Jesus, she says, you know what? You know, our ancestors said we should worship on this mountain, which is Mount Gerizim. That's where the Samaritans worship God. And you Jews say that Jesus, uh, that we should worship on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That's where God is, you know. And, and there's different places. And, and Jesus' response back to her, you know, she's worried about where you worship, about the particulars of worship. And Jesus says, you know, the, the hour is coming and now is when you won't worship on this mountain, you won't worship on that mountain. You know, the particulars of worship are not the essential criteria for worship. You know, just not. Whether it's here or whether it's there. Whether, you know, what makes worship compelling for a Methodist is a good Charles Wesley hymn and a good dose of John Wesley perfection. What makes it compelling for a Lutheran is a mighty fortress is our God and a good dose of sola scriptura. For the Baptists, it's something different. For the Church of Christ, it's something different. Some people love a mega church. Some people love a mini church. Some people like high church. Some people like hand clapping. It's not in the particulars of worship. It's not where, it's not how. The power of worship is in who. The power of worship is always in who. Jesus says, you know, you don't know who you worship. We know who we worship. The power of worship is always into who. And we have affirmed when we walk through the door this morning that Jesus, that Jesus is the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell by the power of the Spirit. And as we gather, you and I need to know that Jesus is the actor that when we sing and when we pray and when we listen, and, you know, it's the Spirit that moves. Jesus says, I give you living water. It's my spirit, the Holy Spirit, that I pour out on you so that what the experience of worship becomes, it becomes that Holy Spirit working in each of us in our human spirits in a way that worship becomes a pursuit of truth, a pursuit of truth about life on God's terms, a pursuit of truth about what life means in grace, a pursuit of truth about the difference that love makes and so we worship in spirit, that Holy Spirit working with our spirits that draws us ever more deeply into the truth that God has for your life and my life in Jesus Christ. We worship in spirit. We worship in truth. Jesus says, I pour out that living water upon you. And so what you begin to find 
is that worship becomes an evolving encounter. You know, I love the scripture this morning, and I'm glad that Alice read it all the way through, because what you find at the beginning of the scripture is that Jesus was a total stranger for the woman. When they met at the well, she did not have any clue who he was. And then as it evolves, you know, and for us, I think sometimes when we come to worship, we're just not sure what's here for us. You know, we're, we're just not, you know, we don't know how to sink into it. Is it something that we're not familiar with? And then as it evolves, all of a sudden, Jesus is, for the woman, a prophet. And for us, all of a sudden, worship has this possibility. Maybe there's something here for me. Maybe there's something here for you. Maybe there's something true about what we do together. And so Jesus goes from stranger to prophet to the end, Messiah. To the one who tells us, as it says in the scripture, this is the person who knows me inside and out better than I even know myself. Told me everything about who I am. And you see how it involves, it is an evolving encounter. And so the hope and the prayer is that as we come, and as that spirit moves, and as it, as it works in us, that for you and for me, compelling worship becomes evolving encounter with you and with the Christ. In a way that as we would leave worship, in a way that as we go back out those doors, and you see this in the scripture this morning, when she left the well, the woman left her empty bucket behind. She left her bucket behind. To me, what that means is that when we come, all the things that we brought in here, the emptiness we brought in here, the need we brought in here, those things where we needed that refreshment, we needed to be lifted, you know what, something is happening here where the living water has touched your heart and my heart, your life and my life. And when we go out of here, we can go out of here with the blessing that we're going to sing in our last hymn. And the last hymn goes like this. I've got peace like a river, living water in my soul. I've got love like a fountain, the living water in my soul. I've got joy like an ocean, the living water in my soul. And when we leave here, we've got that, that living water in our soul. Jesus says the hour is coming, and now is, when that gift is yours and mine in Jesus Christ. And may God bless our worship, your worship, every week to hold that compelling truth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the ways that we come, for the ways that we worship, for the ways that your light shines on our path, for the ways that you lift us, you quench our thirst, for the sense of majesty and miracle and difference that that makes in our lives. The way it leads us to treat one another, to treat our families, to treat our enemies, the way it makes a difference in how we engage our world, the way it makes a difference how we see ourselves. Gracious Lord, bless us with that difference, that decisive difference, that compelling difference that comes through worship, even as we worship in your name this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.